really have no clue what I'm supposed to do. I need you to tell me what to do. I really just have no damn clue. Why won't you tell me what to do? I really need you to tell me what to do. That was perfect because I just started recording and we got that <laughs> as the intro. So that is uh, my beautiful wife, Jessie Cooler, for you. Um, singing What to Do. <laughs> New song, just uh, hot off that the presses. That was a mic test. <laughs> <laughs> so I mic tested her um, and that's a good way to bring her in. So um, Jessie is a writer and a songwriter and a singer. She doesn't like to claim herself as a singer, but you just heard her sing, and she sings wonderfully. Awkward. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about some of her writing that she's working on and songs that she's writing and um, a little bit about what she's doing and she, her, why she became a writer, what got her interested in writing, storytelling a little bit. So, Jesse, when did you first start? When did you realize that you wanted to be a writer? Um, probably whenever I was 14. I realized that I You know that realization, that come to moment. I had no clue what I wanted to do up until that point. I used to literally write down on a piece of paper the occupations that I could possibly want in my lifetime and draw them out of a hat. And, you know, just kind of go along with like a week each time. Like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to be, you know, whatever it said on the piece of paper at that time. And I know writer was one of them. And I just I, I started reading a lot at that point. And so I think it was just something that I was just like, I can do this. I can make up stories. I've done this my whole life, you know, um, and I just got really into it. What and were your favorite books or who are your favorite writers at that time? Who are you reading? Well, I think that the first book that ever made me really want to write, right about the time um, that this was all going on, was um, what is it? Um, the Giver by Lois. The Giver by Lois Lowry. Um, that book, for some reason, just opened my eyes to like this dystopian society, and I just thought it was so cool that you could create like another world. Um, that these characters could live and breathe in. There's different rules to this world. And I just, I was so interested in everything that was going on and the dramatization of everything that was happening. And it just made me so excited whenever I read this book. I just wanted to read it over and over and over again because it was just such a cool story. Um, was that something you picked up or was it school, man? I remember having to read that in school. I, I, I think I that. never actually had to read it in school. It was a book that my sister had and it actually had been chewed on by my dog, the edges of the pages. Um, so it was kind of falling apart. It was really old. I think that I took it out of her room at one time and it had this picture of an old man on it and it just looked kind of, yeah, I remember yeah that. it just looked kind of mysterious and interesting. So I just started reading it and immediately I was hooked. Full um, disclosure, we were supposed to read that in school, but I never opened it. Yeah, it, you missed out. It was really good. You could be a writer right now. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up. Why didn't my teacher push me? Um, <laughs> it's all her fault, not mine. And then I think other than that, um, of course, like J.K. Rowling, I just like the idea of being able to create whatever world that you wanted to live in. You know, you had some control over any situation, um, anything that you ever like any moment that you ever wanted to say something that you couldn't say it. You could do that with your characters. You could create these like alter egos that could, you know, do all the things that you wish that you could do. And um, just to be able to control, maybe I'm a little bit of a control freak and never realized that I just like the idea of being able to manipulate these little situations or ideas into anything that I like. And so what are you working on right now that, I mean, you can explain some, some situations that you've come up with or what, what are you working on? What are you creating? What world are you? There is a story that I've been working on since high school, actually, um, called Deliquium. Uh, it's changed names quite a few times. Um, what is Deliquium? Deliquium is... Definitely more of a young adult coming of age story, um, but it's about a girl who. What does deliquium mean, though? The del word deliquium, deliquium itself means a fainting or falling away. Um, the original name for it was fade away. Um, so I kind of 
found this like scientific term that kind of related to what was going on. And I was um, trying to figure out a different, more interesting way of saying like fade away. Um, so this sort okay. of idea um, just came across to me one day whenever I was walking to my car. I just effervescent deliquium just popped into my head and I had no idea what it meant. I just, the words came to me and I looked it up and I was like, Oh, well I have a story that I'm working on called fade away. And that sort of like sinking or fading away deliquium kind of just fit into what I was talking about. And, um, I want it to be sort of, you know, mystic and, you know, things just kind of like floating about in this sort of, um, dimension kind of. So I don't know. It just, it stuck with me. And I don't know. I just I like saying that word. It's it's liquid. Um, <laughs> it's liquid. A lot so of the imagery the... within the story is also water. So I just I don't know. So what is it about mysticism? You said and um, my inspiration behind it is kind of what drives the story. Um, southern ghost stories. I've always been interested in ghost stories and that sort of like after death type of thing. Um, in the South, I mean, everywhere you go, they say it's haunted. Um, I just found that really interesting. And then I started looking into um, Native American healers and shamans and just sort of their spiritual beliefs and that kind of stuff. And uh, just found it really, really fascinating, some of their rules for the afterlife and this um, whole thing. And I've always had this thing for giant oak trees and um, the, the whole tree of life thing. And I don't know, I just kind of picked everything that I liked about where I grew up and put it in one story. Okay. So how far how, how you have all the characters established? You have, have you The characters have been I've been working on the longest for that particular story because it's more plot based than character based. Um so it's taken me a while to really get to know the characters and, you know, give them vulnerable traits and that kind of stuff. So I think the character development on that one is definitely what's holding me back from. How do you come up with characters for a story? What's your, what's your writing process? Like, like you you came up with the idea for the story. How did you, how do you go from start to finish of writing a book? Like what, how do you create that world? Um, I think a lot of people would say that you have to have just sort of this idea of what you want to write about in general, what inspires you. It could be anything from setting to a particular line. I remember I um, had an idea for a story where I was walking to class one time and just in my head popped, um, you speak of aliens as if you're not one. And from there, I could think of this entire story um, it's called TOI, the original habitants. And I just, from that one phrase, I could come up with an entire story with characters and everything. And that's a finished story you came up with? Yeah. The original inhabitants? Yeah. It's a little weird though. It's a uh, science fiction and I don't really know much about that genre. So to me, it's, it's very unpolished and it's kind of, I don't know, it's, Oh, stop being hard on yourself. It's nothing I would actually publish, but the idea in itself was like candy. It was like Christmas. You have like all these like things flying around your head. And it's so exciting because they're new toys you can play with, you know. <laughs> it's what can keep you entertained for hours and it's it's exciting because anytime you get an idea. But the thing is, like ideas are cheap, so you have to pick and choose which ones you actually want to develop, which ones you want to fester and grow in your brain. And Deliquium has been with me forever, and it's been many different names, many different stories. But those scenes in the story have just, you know, resonated in me for so long that it's just almost like a memory. Um, I could tell the story front and back because I know, you know, every aspect of a scene because I've you know, relived it in my head over and over and over again. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, the, the story continues to change and grow. And I think that every day it just gets better and better. It gets that much. It gets another layer. It gets more in depth. It gets to be to where I want it to be. You know. So story t- speaking of story and storytelling, if what do you what did you do to learn how to tell stories or is there any well, I was an English major. Um, I took, you know, story classes in high school. Um, honestly, I think art is um, what really helped kind of develop um, storytelling for me, actually, because um, when you look at a picture, for instance, um, mm-hmm. 
there's different elements that makes it a good looking image. For instance, like the elements of style, um, you know, color, shape, all this other stuff. And I just, I started picking apart like what made art interesting. And then um, I think just you end up painting a picture with words. For instance, I, I love using lighting in my, um, in my stories. I think that's something that a lot of writers like overlook. I also um, use lighting in your story. So you describe the lighting. I describe the lighting. You're literally, you have to paint a picture with words. And I feel like a lot of, um, some writers are all about the action of the story and what's going on. And they leave, don't leave any clues for what's going on in the scene. They don't put you in the scene. They just show you what's happening, which is great. But I want my readers to actually feel like their hands are the ones moving throughout the scenes. That they are the character, that they're the living, breathing, you know, embodiment of that particular character. So I even describe, go so far as to describe like what the hands are doing of the character, because I think that that in itself tells a story, something subtle that can add so much interest you know, that we pay attention to as humans, but maybe we forget about as writers. Hmm. That's very interesting. I never, I don't read much as you know. <laughs> I'm not all. a reader at all. I've read, um, it's sad to say I can count all the number of books that I've read on one hand. Actually, I can count the number of books I've read on zero hands. <laughs> um, and then that's so toes. So zero, zero books. Um, I don't know. I just can't get interested in reading books. And that's I think- my goal is to make sure that people are actually interested in reading books because you have. To, it's all about the pacing and the tension that you give. I mean, you can have the most interesting characters in the world, but if the pacing of the story isn't fluid enough that people can get into it in a short amount of time, then they're going to lose interest. They've got a million other things in this day and age that they can get interested in within a split second. They can scroll through Instagram. They can watch a television show. I don't know show. what it is about reading. I just can't get into it. I'll try to read a book. And I read I, like, I read articles. I read all the time, but just not books. I can't read stories. I don't know. I, I can't and sit I can and read And I can say that, honestly, I was like that whenever I was younger. Um, I remember. Maybe I haven't matured. No, I think that you've matured. Maybe you just <laughs> haven't found the right book. That's what everyone says, but I still can't get into any books. The only books I can get into are the ones that you read to me in an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only books I can. Yeah. Uh, that was a study cheat that I used to do. Um, definitely whenever I would read like textbook stuff, I just couldn't get interested in anything that I was reading. Um, like science textbooks, anything like that. Anything you had to really study for school. So in college, I used to, you know, have to stay up late and read and all this other stuff. So I would turn on all the lights and drink a bunch of coffee and, you know, walk around. Um, Because if I sat down and read it, I'd fall asleep. So I'd walk around and read it in some sort of British or Indian accent. (laughs) And um, that way I could comprehend what I was doing and I was performing it. So I was interested in what was going on. And it just helped so much really retain the information. (laughs) Your Indian or British accent? You did it in an Indian accent as well. Yeah. What's your do an no, Indian no, accent? No, no. You have to do it. Do your all right. Do your English accent. Um, no. <laughs> ah, she's shy. She's shy in front of me. All of a sudden. No, I, I mean, mean, I would. I would need something to read. I can't just like start, you know, talking in it. Um, I'm read, read that. this book right here. Yes, there you go. Make sure you get your mouth close to the mic. When I'm writing a screenplay, my catalyst moment will float around for the first couple of drafts. The setup will be too long, the story is clogged with details, and the page 12 catalyst beat it somehow mysteriously on page 20. My pants just got tighter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now do your Indian accent. You can do it. I haven't done this one in a long time. You can do it, though. I don't know if I can, actually. I you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. When I'm ra- I can't do it. Yes, you had it. You when had I'm it, writing though. a screenplay, my catalyst moment will float around for the first couple of drafts. The setup will be too long, the story clogged with details. And that page 12 catalyst, Pete, is somehow mysteriously on page 20. Awful. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> 
No, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't done it in a long time. You, you nailed the English accent, but you definitely. Uh, but that one, I felt like I comprehended more of what was going on. You just slow it down. I don't know. But the thing that I learned about doing the accents in that way was that I slowed down my reading. And that's what a lot of people who don't like reading don't realize that you can go slow. You don't have to speed read everything. Trust me. Go I slow. read slow naturally. But go, <laughs> but go slow to the pace of what's being written. To I feel like he, you're just reading words. To he. <laughs> oh, the. <laughs> to he. To he. Um. Yeah, you're just reading words with no rhythmic pattern, so it's not sticking in your head. Is that why Shakespeare is easier to remember? Probably. Because of the spear? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-
Yeah, movies. like the jock <laughs> and the geek and that kind of stuff. Because I feel like when you were in high school, you didn't really have like the jock and the geek. You had, you know, Jim and Bob, you know? Yeah. So describe who they were. I think it does more justice to you know, our real culture and our actual society okay. is not to put a stigma on, you know, who these people, you know, might be, but actually who they were. Because those make interesting characters. If you can add some sort of like character cork or something like that, that adds just that much more depth to what's going on in the story, then, you know, you made it real for somebody. And that's the whole point is to kind of, you know, bring these words off the paper, breathe air into them, you know. The whole point of writing is literally like sucking the marrow out of life. I mean, 20 years from now, when people read this story and it's about something that happened right now, they're literally you know, reading a historic thing. And I think that it adds, you know, so much more interest whenever you're capturing what's actually happening in the moment. That way, generations from now, people read it and... And know what's the mindset They'll have a better idea of who we were. And I think that that's important to really capture that historic moment. I mean, when you think back at the 60s, you kind of have this whole stigma of who these people were in the 60s smoking their cigarettes riding on (laughs) pan am airplanes you know but if you really think about who grew up in the 60s i mean your dad did my grandmother you know like those were the real people and if you wrote a story about those real people then i think that that, solidify that time period yeah history and it wouldn't be you know as basic it wouldn't be just so flat it would give it more dimension. It'll have life because it was life, so to speak. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it'll have life because it was life. Um, so how do you... It'll be a much more interesting story. <laughs> how do you map out your story? I mean, you say you just you sit there and run through in your head, but how do you... Do you just uh, type it out? I do all out, kinds or? of graphs. Before I do anything like a plan out everything, um, I usually do some sort of character web because every character has to relate to somebody somehow. You know, like, how does this person feel about this person? How does this person feel about that person? Um, I think it's important to understand different qualms that people might have because it adds that much more layer or tension to the story. Um, so this person doesn't like this person because of this. And it adds a little bit of backstory, a little bit of, you know, something else going on. And it's not just a bunch of people just in a room. They know each other. They've got a story, you know, and you're just telling their story. You're the onlooker. So you develop all that before you even like write the story or. So I try to think about who these people are. If I put anybody in any situation with anyone, I would know how they would react um, on anything, in any situation. Um, Another thing that I do is kind of break apart, you know, the basic, like, beginning, middle, and end. Um, Rising action. So you know how the story begins and you know what's going to happen at the end. Break apart the scenes. But a lot of people say that they want to... You know, just right by the seat of their pants. And I hate doing that. I really like knowing where I'm going. Um, because, you know, it's it's so much easier for me to connect the dots than to just have the dots go all over the place. I like I want it to be uniform. I want to know where I'm going. And I just think that it makes for a better story when you actually plan it out. I am the worst at planning anything. Okay. <laughs> including that statement (laughs) you're such a good storyteller i told the best story just then um but something that i've been getting into recently is i've never really been good at poetry per se but i've always loved you know writing songs Ever since I was a little girl, I remember being. That's poetry, though. I mean, you. I right. know, but like I, I sung it, so I mean, it was different. It wasn't just like, it wasn't like a villanelle or, uh, you know, some sort of rhyme scheme that way. I mean, it was always just like la da da da, some sort of melody that but was you, terrible. <laughs> right. I mean, you are. You write really good songs. 
I think recently I just realized that I have that in my toolbox that I like I can write these songs. It's never really been. How many songs do you have written now? Do you do you keep track of how many you've written? Um, I think I probably have like fifteen solid songs and like another fifteen half songs. Yeah, um, but you pop them out like they're skittles. I could probably write a song every day because I just I don't know. Most of them would be absolutely retarded and goofy, but um, I don't know. I just. I just really like writing songs. It just comes easy to me. It's not that I'm that great at it. I just it's something that is fulfilling to me whenever I can, you know, sit in a room and just come up with some lyrics. I think that that's like meditate like it's like meditation to me. So when you're writing a song, does it just is it like a Dewey Cox moment where one Line enters your head and then you just make a whole song out of it? Or do you – how the hell do you come up with – because you'll be driving to work and just be like, oh, I wrote a whole song on the way to work. Like I said, I have no idea where they come from. Most of them don't even have to do with who I am or anything that I'm going through at the time. They're just words that – I don't know. It's just – I start saying some stuff or singing some stuff, and it just. But you're picturing something because I don't picture anything really. It's like a muse is literally like pouring it into my head and just. All right, so like that song Desiree. It's a whole story about this girl getting murdered, and you're telling me you didn't think that in your head. You just it just came out. Mm What are you getting, like, incepted or something? No, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that. I I think I wrote the first first verse, and then I was just like, okay, well, where else can I go with this? I kind of like that. Um, Lit by the Bacon Sign and Desiree kind of thing. Where are you going to go? And I was like, who would be in a a motel in, like, this town called Desiree? And I was like, probably a hooker. I don't know. (laughs) Like, yeah, anyone named Desiree is a hooker, <laughs> apparently. No. <laughs> or they're, they're most likely hookers. So then I was like, well, where do I go from here? If she's a hooker, then there's got to be some guy who's, like, not treating her good or something. I got, I'm going to play the Desiree song here in this podcast. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For everybody. Like, I can hear you whispering now. I would kill you. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. <laughs> got it. On, on, actually, the internet I lost connection. You. It said the internet lost connection. Um, Alexa's on my side. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Oh, we're reconnected. Right when she said she was going to murder me, the internet went down. <laughs> and Alexa is on her side. I will end you. <laughs> Seriously, don't do that. That's but not yeah, cool I'm definitely going to play that. No, but it's song. really not cool at all. Yeah, but we're going to play it. No. But. I'd rather just sing the new version that I have of it. Sing the new version. Oh, she's going to do it. I saw that look. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to make me. Yeah, go ahead. Cold is the ground. Dark is the dark is the night. It doesn't matter. You're alright. Lost in a moment. Far away, lit by the vacant sign in Desiree. Hey, 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 hey. And she was sweet like summer rain, and he was hooked on women and cocaine, and he liked the way she smiled. Poor girl, she was just a child singing, come. Come and get your love, baby. Come, come and get your love. Oh, 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 come, come and get your love, baby. Come, come and get your love. Oh my effing G, son. That was beautiful. Thanks. 
Babe, you did it. You sang. Hey, that was awesome. That was a good song. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. And in, in fact, I liked it a lot. I liked it. I liked it a lot. But I think that's a good way, uh, place to end it. We're at 30 minutes here. We didn't talk about the bakery. Holy fucking shit. Let's talk about the vagary. Okay, so another project that I'm working on. First off, we need another Heineken. All right, but talk about the vagary. Okay. I'm going to grab a Heineken. Another project that I'm working on is called the vagary, and it's about a group of artists that live together. Um, sort of a TV show that we're trying to develop um, right now, and it's just been a ton of fun trying to work on that. The characters that I, <laughs> The characterization on that one I've been working on for a long time as well. Um, since sometime in high school, not high school, um, college. And that particular story, um, has definitely grown over time. And I originally was going to write it as a book, but I decided that it made more sense to write it as a screenplay. Um, so I started getting really interested in screenwriting and I'm super glad that I did because I didn't realize that screenwriting actually had a lot of the elements that I was looking for um, to kind of, you know, stimulate, you know, my my creative um, interests. And what I really love about screenwriting is that um, they, movies use so many elements in everything that they're doing. Everything from you know, photography, um, they use all the elements that you would see in any kind of art, um, painting, lighting, for instance, um, you know, line. Then they have all the drama and the dramatization and everything that has to do with acting, um, which is great. And then I really love the fact that in screenwriting, you're dictating, you know, what these people are, you know, putting into their acting and what they're showing. And I just, I don't know, I was definitely drawn to it. And um, the story that I've been working on, um, it's just been really fun for me to write. Um, Sorry, Steven's back now. (laughs) Oh, I've been back. I'm back. I'm listening. I'm taking it all. So the vagary. I like the vagary a lot. This is one of my favorite stories that she's been working on. Um, Like she said, it's about a group of artists that live together. And we kind of had a situation similar to that. Yes. We grew, we uh, It's so weird. I, I think that I sort of manifested myself into that situation because I had been writing that story for a long time and then I actually ended up living it um, for two years when yeah. I moved here. Um, so when she says that, when we first moved here, we lived, it was us and two other people, but the other people both had girlfriends and we were all on our own artsy path. Um just, you know, the whole point is kind of like what is art, what makes art great, that kind of thing. These are, you know, what these characters were really begging uh, to be answered. And um, it's kind of narrated by this guy that's kind of lost and just trying to figure out, like, who he is within all of this. And it kind of goes back and forth between past and present um, to what was happening then in their lives and to what um, they ended up becoming. Um, based on, you know, their, just their mentality and like kind of what they, you know, built for themselves. Um, but I, I just use so many people in my life that I knew to kind of develop these characters. And the more and more that I try to develop them, the more I would meet people that were just like them. And it was so (laughs) weird. Um, you know, when you meet someone, you're you're like, I wrote you, (laughs) I wrote you as a character. You're a character in a story I made. You aren't real. Yeah. I wrote you as a person. That's so cool. So you have people in mind too, for casting where we have casting. So we're actually going to be filming that one ourselves. I'm going to finish writing, um, just like the first episode. Um, I'm still trying to decide whether or not I want, I kind of want to write it as a dark comedy. And, um, I think I'm going to need Steven's help on that note. But um, she's gonna need my head. I don't know if I want to write it more as a drama oh, yeah. series or more of a sitcom. I think it would be easier to write it as a sitcom for sure. But I think that my brain sort of gravitates more towards the drama series. Did you know that sitcom is short for situational Comedy. Comcast? No. <laughs> 
Anyway, um, so <laughs> I my, get that a lot. My inspiration anyway. <laughs> for the vagary was actually um, Los Caprichos by uh, Francisco Goya. Of course. And that translates into the vagary. And um, Los Caprichos translates into the vagary. Yes. Sorry. Okay. And so Los I was just obsessed with these prints, these 80 prints um, that he had done. Um, he was like a 1700s painter, very famous. Um, but the Los Caprichos, for some reason, just I just responded to it. And there's this one, um, which is the most famous one. Um, What's it called? Oh, what is it called? The Sleep of Reason. Sleep of Reason. Produces monsters or something like that. And it's just such a beautiful print where this guy's got his head on the desk and there's just all these creatures coming from behind him. And I just, I don't know. I just loved it. It was very gothic. It was very real. It was a very emotional piece. And I just found it really interesting. And then I found out that there were a lot of these prints. And I started reading their titles and just fell in love with them. And decided that I was going to write a series based on these prints. Um, and kind of come up with a story based on it. Because basically what he was trying to say with his art at the time um, were all the follies of Spanish society. And I think that it would be so fun to do some sort of dark comedy um, with these group of artists that are kind of like trying to hold a mirror up to society at this day and age, but really just, you know, kind of poking fun and um, just realizing that, you know, they're they're no wiser than anyone else kind of thing. And I like that because we're all stupid. We're yeah. all stupid when you think about it. But to it. have these like silly characters and these silly situations and just showing like how just absolutely ridiculous this whole millennial life is, is I don't know, I thought would be kind of interesting. And to look at it from an artistic perspective and how, I don't know, I could go on and on for days on, you know, my issues with art these days. <laughs> well. Proceed. No, I don't know. I don't want you to go on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, think- I just think it's so interesting when people like call themselves an artist these days. It's like, did you make your own paint? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's your so art has changed. Art, it art has, has changed, and you know, it's so funny. I saw this thing the other day where people were really upset about this whole modern era and like they had um different like minimalistic paintings that were just literally white canvases and how people were so upset that they were like in a museum of art like it's a white campus or a white canvas like how is this art how could this possibly be art but the sheer reaction to it is what makes it art is the to me (laughs) all these people are pissed off yeah because they don't understand that it's just there to piss them off (laughs) yeah and it's your and that re- is it's art. your reaction to it, and you know your emotional reaction as to what kind of makes it intriguing. Oh my god, I forgot this lady that we learned about. I learned about at Rollins. Um, she did like a social experiment, and she like sat down in this one spot and had a whole bunch of stuff on this table, and it said like you can do anything to me. And at first, people were like weirded okay. out. Yeah. And then, but by the by the end of it, like people were like torturing this woman. Like, and everyone was involved. Like, oh my god, everyone that's like, awful. and she just was letting them do it. They were like spinning on her and like pull, like doing all sorts of crazy shit to her. But it was a social experiment to see what people would do. And at first, people were, you know, didn't want to do anything. And the more that people did stuff. It just got crazier and crazier, and it it was pretty wild Aww. to see the just people like testing chain- the boundaries. Yeah, yeah, te- like children, I mean, really. Yeah, and it just it just was to see the 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 bloodlust almost like it was just it's insane. I forgot the lady's name, man. That is really interesting. It is to see how you know. The if when you see other people doing something that you know is wrong, yeah, but other people are doing it, it's easy just to to fall into place and you know kind of up the ante a little bit. So people just kept doing, you know, oh, one picked up something and like poked her with it, and then another person like, you know, went a little farther and went a little farther, and you know, by the end of it, it was like 
I mean, this was like a big art gallery, like an art showing, I think in like New York City or something where it was like a a big thing. I forget the name of the lady, man. I wish I remembered it. But yeah, the social experiments always make me uncomfortable. Like, what would you do? I don't know. I feel like I'm the kind of person that would just you would sit wait there and for other people <laughs> to react. That's yeah, the thing. because I don't know necessarily how I feel about something until like five minutes later. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's see. That's why I, I, feel I can't obligated. really respond. You know, in an actual. That's why I like writing because I, I I'm terrible at just responding and you know. <laughs> so, yeah. so like twenty minutes later, I'm like, I'm really upset. <laughs> I feel I don't know. I feel obligated to respond in, in emergency situations just because because I know yeah that. Most people will think, oh, someone else will take care of it. And that most people think that way. So there has to be people that will go, all right, fuck. I guess it's on me to handle this. Like when that car went flipping in front of us on the highway. (laughs) Yeah, that was intense. Oh, my God. I remember, okay, so this car was like, you know, just like on my bumper the whole time on my ass just like trying to get around me finally got around me as soon as we got on i-95 from i4 and he just sped up past me and i mean i was you know driving normally there was a car in front of me i couldn't go anywhere um i don't know why he was like up my ass but um he sped up past me and then two seconds later i see him Flipping, flipping through the air. the air. And I think that I'm just so desensitized by television that I didn't believe it was real life. And I'm on my phone in the passenger <laughs> seat, and she goes, hey, that car is flipping through the air in front of us. I think I was questioning and, it at first because I didn't believe it. I pick up my eyes, and I it's a final destination scene in front of us. This car is barrel rolling down I-95, cars swerving out of the way. Jesse's still going the same <laughs> going speed straight for at it. it. I go, stop the car, man. What are you doing? <laughs> so she stops the car. I get out of the car and go run to this guy who just went flipping through I-95. And he's still in his seatbelt. Car's upside down. He says, there's two dogs in the car. I'm trying to rip the doors open. I get them open. I'm rummaging through a whole bunch of crap because he was traveling somewhere. Got the dogs out. One dog was, is, I mean, they were okay, but one eye, one dog's eye was really messed up. But it was crazy. And then shortly after, the uh, ambulances showed up in the fire department, and we just uh, and there's a bunch left. of guys there <laughs> at that point, and one guy was like, "I'm a medic. I'm a, you know, whoever." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "All right, see ya." We no, but you go. said that like there was a bunch of people that came out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, every every like every person who stopped was an, uh, a medical personnel of some sort, and <laughs> they had it from there. So I handed the puppies over, and I'm an EMT. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's go before they block the lanes. I did my part. Yeah, I still have scratches on my car from that. Literally, things were flying off in the air. <laughs> that was wild. It was super crazy. It was a big SUV, too. I mean, that thing, oh, I don't even know how that happened. Flipping. Boop, 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 boop. A word from our sponsors. Heineken, drink it. Or don't, but you might want to. Yes. Eventually. Heineken. Try it. No. Beep, boop, boop. What else do you want to talk about, Jesse? Heineken. Even robots like it. <laughs> Feels what? even robots. Why do robots speak in beep boop I feel like robots don't need to speak. Because that's what zeros and ones sound like. Beep-bop-boop. I think it's fact. True story, bro. True story, bro. So, Steven, I'm going to interview you a little bit. I don't want to be interviewed. So it's not as how you know, this works, girl. I'm a really good interviewer. All right, interview You've me. Never been interviewed. Interview me, dog. Interview me, dog. Are you done? I'm Randy. <laughs> dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> comedy. Jackson. How do you feel about it? F- fun. Wow. Fun. 
It makes me smile. Comedy makes me smile. Yeah. Is that your tagline for duck it? Duck it. Comedy makes me smile. But for clowns, it can make them sad. What? I don't know. Clowns are sad, really. (laughs) I don't understand. Like, okay, so you really love comedy, right? You love it. You sleep with it at night. You cuddle up next to it. You just freaking love it. I have comedy pajamas that yes comedy central pjs <laughs> comedy central pjs um i don't know i just i i don't know I, I what makes you love it what drives you towards comedy i always enjoyed making people laugh um i don't know i just feel like there's so much so many people there's a lot of bullshit in this world and a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily funny or or happy, or, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be happy or laugh. So poop jokes are what get you through the day. Essentially, poop jokes drive me in this life. I feel like that's what you're saying. Yeah, right poop now. jokes are what because the majority of your jokes involve poop or penises. I don't know why. I just I like poop and penis. It's just. It's, it's what thing, I know. It's, you yeah. got to write about what you know, and I know how to poop, and I've got a penis. And those two. That's all you need in that's life, That's all really. I know. That's all I need. It's yeah. how to poop and how to have a penis. So that's interesting. I wonder what a therapist would do with that. Probably make me draw a bunch of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out of my Tell system. me more, Steven. <laughs> Every time I touch a pen to Tell a piece me of paper, about your penis. I can't. Do anything but draw penises. Tell me about your wiener. Have you seen my wiener? I thought you said you were a good interviewer. You just kind of started talking about wieners there. You went rogue. Yeah. That's what good interviews consist of. Wieners? Yeah. If you ain't talking about a wiener. You ain't trying. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So comedy. Let's go back to comedy for a minute. Okay. okay. Comedy, in a sense, has developed over the years into what some would say a an online sensation. Now, would you call these new up and coming? Is that a term you just coined yourself? I don't know. Oh, it's raining. Okay. Anyway, would you consider these up and comers who do sketch comedy through, say, YouTube or any other? you know, social media outlet, comedians. I think, yeah, I mean, comedy has changed and and the outlet of which you relay your craft has changed dramatically from, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, five years ago. Um, So why haven't you started your own channel yet? Like YouTube channel? Yeah. Seems to be the new outlet. Yeah, you have no YouTube channel. I'm trying. So I want to live broadcast these podcasts and have through YouTube. But, I mean, it's a lot to do for one person. But every day you come to me, babe. I got a new idea for a sketch comedy. I know. I need to get I got a new idea. I got a new idea. I got to get We got to film this. You literally have a production company at your disposal. I need a crew. You have cameras, you have lighting, you have a writer, you have, you know. We need actors, we need. You have access to actors. We need the script, we need the. Oh, so it's my fault? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not your fault. (laughs) I I have ideas. I'm working on a lot of stuff, but it's just tough to. I feel like you've been pretty consistent with the podcasting thus far. Um. I don't know. I just I'd love to see you on YouTube. I want to get on YouTube. I'm working on it. We've got to work on it. I feel like a lot of times these days people are striving so hard to be what's worked in the past. Like I'm not trying to make anything work really. I'm just trying to do I feel like it's evolving. What's I feel like it really is evolving at a rapid pace and I feel like she doesn't listen. I am listening. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that it, I, I think that's next step for you. I feel like 
you know, you just got to put a bunch of bullshit content out there and see what sticks. Yeah, just throw a bunch of shit at the walls and see what shit sticks. That's comedy, right? Yeah, pretty much. You just go out there and you throw shit at the walls and you see what sticks. <laughs> Most of the time, nothing. Some of the times, some shit sticks to the wall. But at the end of the day... So you're not a poet. I consider myself a pretty above-average poet. <laughs> So sometimes stick shit sticks to the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a poem. <laughs> All right, write a poem called Sometimes Shit Sticks to the Wall. Sometimes shit sticks to the wall. Sometimes shit even in the fall. <laughs> sometimes in the room. Sometimes boom boom boom. Boom boom boom. <laughs> sometimes you are the groom. You're in trouble. Sometimes double. But when you have to go, always know the toilet is in a bubble. Is where your pants are down. What? Yep. Was that a haiku? That was a haiku. <laughs> that was um a western haiku. <laughs> that was a stoner haiku. That was <laughs> That was a western haiku. Um Originally Dude, developed. Dude, that could be a sketch. Stoner haiku. 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 Hi- hi- Haichus. Stoner haichus. Stoner haiku. 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 Stoner haiku, man. How about stoner history, man? So instead of drunk history, we do stoner history, and people just smoke weed and fall asleep. Under a rug. And then no history. So. <laughs> so nothing happens. Yep. Man, I gotta pee, babe. I think we're done. Yeah, go pizzle my nizzle. I'm gonna go. You can't say nizzle. Really? Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, now you know, and knowing's half the battle. I didn't know. G.I. Joe.